0: How many of you have ever tried something, learned something new, where it's like you, maybe you watched a video on it, you know, you went on YouTube, you watched something, and then you actually tried it, and you discovered what you thought you knew how to do, you really didn't know? Like, there's things that have to be learned by actually doing them, right? I remember, uh, you know, you you look at people skiing and you're like, "That looks easy. I can do that. I know how to do that." And you get out there for the first time and you're like, "Whoa! Right? How, how do I do this right?" You're trying to figure out how to do the turns and you know, it just it's a lot harder than it looks, right? Or has anybody learned how to surf? Come on, you out there in Colorado? All right, we got like one. I tried. <laughs> And um, I, you know, watched the videos and I'm like, I lived in California for a while years ago and uh, so I I had a surfboard and I went out, actually I was really cheap, Um, I shouldn't tell you this, but I had a, uh, I had a wetsuit that I bought at like the thrift store and it was hot pink, (laughs) which was cool in the 80s. Not so much like in the early 2000s, right? So I literally got a big black Sharpie and colored the whole thing black. And so I would go out and try to surf and the surfboard would just be covered in like black Sharpie ink. Um, but I tried surfing and I'd try to get on these waves and it's a lot harder than it looks, right? You watch the videos and you just pat, but there's a lot more to it, right? Or how about like raising children? <laughs> Did anybody judge other parents before you had children? Yeah, if you're if you're a parent, I remember going into the store and having this little, you know, judgmental thought of like, why can't they control their toddler? That's throwing a fit. Then you have kids, and you're like, oh, that's why, right? It's, it's it's harder than it looks. Like, there's some things that you actually have to engage in that you have to do in order to really know, right? There's many things in life that are that way. And what we're going to look at today in John chapter 7, Jesus is going to make a statement that is so challenging when it comes to really knowing God, when it comes to understanding the will of God, knowing God, having a relationship with God. So if you have your Bibles, turn on over to John chapter 7. We're going to be picking up in just a minute in verse 14, but before we get there, just want to re- remind you of where we were at, where we left off last week. Um, this is set, these few chapters of John are set in feasts, different feasts. So chapter 6, Jesus is, is comparing himself to manna that came down from heaven. If you remember the feeding of the 5,000, there's a deeper meaning behind it, right? And then he launches into this big, long sermon um, where he is basically saying, I am the bread that has come down from heaven blew everybody's minds so hard for them to wrap their minds around. In fact, this sermon was so offensive to so many of his people, including many of his disciples, that a lot of them began to peel off. A lot of them began to um, just say, "Ah, we're not going to follow you. This is too this is too crazy. Like you're making some radical claims here and we don't get it. And so a lot of his disciples begin to peel off. Well, his brothers see this happening. If you remember Jesus, um, Joseph, uh, Jesus, um, father, they thought he was a father, right? But Jesus is the son of God. Um, so Mary's other kids, his half brothers, um, they know that Jesus is a great man. He's a, he's a miracle worker. He's doing some amazing things. And there's all this rumor. And guess what? They want Jesus to become successful. And so they see this, this sermon that Jesus preaches, and they see all these disciples that are peeling off and beginning to leave him, and they're getting concerned. Because if your brother becomes, you know, some rich, powerful ruler, um, some very important person, all of a sudden your status goes up, right? Life gets a little easier. The family budget is, is a little easier to figure out. And Jesus' brothers come to him, actually, during this time. And they're like, hey, we're we're getting ready to go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Sukkot. Now, this is called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And basically, for eight days, there's three feasts. One of them is Passover, one of them is Pentecost, and one of them is Tabernacles or Sukkot. And this happens in the fall, at the fall harvest, where um, God actually tells the people, I want you, there's these three times a year to come to the temple, come to the place where God puts his name. So come to Jerusalem and gather, and you're going to rejoice, and you're going to celebrate, and actually they would transform. In in order to remember the time when God took care of them as their ancestors came through the desert, his command was basically a week-long family camp. So eight eight days, they would build these temporary shelters out of uh, like palm branches and different things, and camp out for a week for eight days, and so the whole city of Jerusalem would be transformed, and it would just like they would have a great time. They would have worship nights that went all night long. Like they would start at the temple worshiping God in the afternoon with these like ceremonies, and then the songs and the singing and the celebration, and the joy. It would go all night long. Now I know, like we like worship nights around here, like but for most, you're like uh, an hour. I'm kind of getting tired, right? I said last night we had a bunch of youth. On the second row, which you can sit up here, it, it's good. In fact, it would be very helpful if some of you create some extra room from the back. You know, take one for the team. Um, it, it leaves some room for some newcomers. Uh, but anyway, um, they were like they have they go to this whiteout right and do these different things. They have worship your face off, where they like go all evening and worship for hours and love it, right? And these guys, they would they would it's like a worship night celebration that went all night, joy, the whole city would be lit up. I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing time. And it was also really tied to the hope of Messiah, that Messiah would be coming again, the national hope of Israel, just like Passover, right, was tied to that. It was this key symbol of the national hope that the Messiah is going to come. Messiah is going to liberate us from Rome and from these oppressors and finally restore us to the superpower status. And, and Jesus' brothers at this time, they know all of this, and they, they're going up, you know. They've been doing this since they were kids. Jesus was been doing this since they were kids. They'd go up every year these three times. And so they tell Jesus, come on, Jesus, this is your opportunity. You're kind of losing some of the crowd here, and this is your opportunity. There's this great hope, and this would be a festive occasion and a great chance for you to show off and do some of these miracles you've been doing over here. Do them in front of the crowds. Like, this is your chance to become a celebrity. This will up your game a little bit. You can be somebody. And Jesus basically looks at them. We saw this last week and said, hey, I have a different agenda than your agenda. My agenda is different. Your your agenda is celebrity and fame and success. My agenda is to fulfill the work my father has given me. That's what I'm here for to do the thing God has sent me to do. And while you want me to appear at the feast of Sukkot and make a big deal of myself, guess what? That's not God's will for me. That's not God's time. There's another time that God has for me to fulfill his work. And guess what? It's not going to be about celebrity. It's going to be about giving my life for the sins of the world. And six months later, he would go up to Passover. And what we saw last week is that for you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have a very different definition of success in life, or we should. That when we look at our life, the big question we should be asking is, God, what have you put me here for? What have you put me here to accomplish? And so that was where we were at. That's where we're coming into this text here. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick it up. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm not going up to the festival now. Um, And then later he goes up secretly, not like as a big, um, you know, puts on a big display. And then it says this, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. So halfway through, Jesus emerges. They've been looking for him. The leaders are looking for a way to kill him and arrest him. And it says this, the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And what they're saying here is basically, hey, he doesn't have a PhD. He, he hasn't gone to seminary. How did he get so much learning? Because at this point in the first century, they had a very well-established like format for rabbis and training. And uh, it doesn't mean he's not educated. In fact, many of the Jewish people of um, that, most of Jewish boys would have had a good share of the Old Testament memorized by the time they were through like primary school. Can you imagine that? Like memorized by heart. So they knew the scriptures, like Peter, John, these guys, they knew the scriptures. They just didn't go on to like higher ed, right? They didn't have their masters. They didn't have their PhD. They didn't go to seminary. These guys, in fact, a lot of these rabbis, they would pass on authority, like, You've heard him say, Jesus teaches like one with authority. Well, they saw their like, authority coming from whoever they studied under. Remember Paul, the, the apostle Paul? He studied under a great rabbi, Gamaliel, right? And so they would study under these rabbis, and some of them could trace like, the, the secession of authority all the way back like, to Moses, right? Like, this rabbi taught this rabbi, this is how I got my credentials. And they're looking at Jesus, and he didn't possess these credentials, In fact, remember when he was 12, like they were amazed by him, right? His parents left, forgot him. Any of you forgot your kids somewhere? Well, his parents forget him, somehow leave, think he's with the caravan of of, like pilgrims. So they're heading back. Three days later, they find him in the temple. Some of you would be freaking out and they were too, right? (laughs) But they forget and 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 the people are just amazed. So there's been something about Jesus from the very start. And they're, ask, they're asking like, where did you get this authority? Like, how did, how, did you, how did you get this? You haven't had this higher education. I love it. Verse 16, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. And it's so funny as you go through this chapter, because they're going to ask Jesus kind of three different questions. And every time, like, they're going to ask Jesus, hey, where'd you go to school? Heaven, Jesus will say. <laughs> uh, Jesus, where are you from? Heaven, Jesus will say. Uh, Where are you going? Heaven? And it like blows their mind. They can't wrap their minds around it, right? But he's saying, hey, my authority stems directly from God. I didn't get my authority because some other rabbi said, hey, this is my my star student. Like, he says, my doctorate is divine. For some of you, um, I remember my grandpa, you know, people joking. Anybody ever use a post hole digger? Yeah, that's, you know, you're, you know, you feel it the next day if you've used the post hole digger, you know, and you, you dig post holes. And I remember the saying, like, I've got my PhD. Point over to the post hole digger, right? Got it from the school of hard knocks. Anybody remember that? And Jesus is like, I've got my PhD. It came right from God. It came directly from, from God. And they recognize this amazing thing about Jesus, that he has this innate authority. In fact, it's interesting because in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are out preaching. They preach this amazing sermon. And actually, the, they are, it says they, they noticed they were amazed and they took note that they had been with Jesus. Because same thing, these guys didn't have any credentials, any higher degrees, and yet they had spent three years with Jesus and it transformed them. And, and, and the the authority they had because of their relationship with Jesus was obvious to everyone. Jesus goes on in verse 17, and this is a statement that I think is so challenging. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. That there is a direct connection, actually, between doing God's will and understanding God understanding who I am understanding the teaching that I'm bringing if this is the thing you know like like we said like there's things in life that you might think you know but you don't really know until you've experienced them right and there is, a, there is a component of experiencing relationship with God that is dependent on the experience of obedience and doing the will of God in our lives. That there's a motivation that comes, that there's an understanding that comes. And Jesus says, hey, guess what? If you choose not to do my will, actually you won't even know me. If you're not motivated to actually take a step of obedience, you may not actually be able to recognize me or understand what I'm saying, which was the case with the, with the Jewish leaders here. Um, I remember when I was like 20, I went to this mission school down in Texas, Mercy Ships. And there's this YWAM base. And there were all these international people from all over the world. And there was this one girl from Brazil. And all of a sudden, I was really interested in learning Portuguese. <laughs> There's a motivation, right? <laughs> so I could understand what this cute Brazil girl from Brazil was saying to me, right? There's a heart behind it that doing something, getting to something, actually, like understanding and having a relationship with God, actually takes a response. It requires a motivation, a heart motivation and a response, See, on the other side of that, the Jewish leaders, they had the opposite, right? There were things that God was saying to them, and they didn't want to hear those things. That God, through Jesus come in the flesh, that God was speaking to them, and they didn't want to hear those things. Oh, they heard, they thought they knew it, right? They had their whole religious list of rules and things and they thought they knew all about God and had relationship with God, but they actually weren't hearing or doing the will of God as revealed to them through Jesus and they couldn't recognize the very Messiah, God in the flesh standing in their midst, they couldn't recognize. Like right in front of them. And religion has the ability to do that in our lives. Religion has the ability to allow us to think, I know it without actually experiencing what God would have. Religion has the ability to allow us to have a set of checkboxes. Well, I go to church and, you know, I, I, I give and I do these things when actually There's a whole bunch of things God is speaking to us or one or two things that God has for us and we kind of push that off to the side and ignore it. Sometimes religion allows us to be distracted from the very things that God has for us, the heart of God and relationship with him and still feel fine about where we're at, right? See, and part of the problem is maybe the reason you can't, see God, experience relationship with God, is you've already actually closed your your heart and your mind from what he really wants to communicate to you. Maybe there's not a heart motivation there. It's been distracted, right? And Jesus says, whoever chooses to do the will of God, like to recognize they have relationship with him, whoever chooses to do the will of God. There's a connection between choosing to do the will of God and having the insight of God. See, what we like to do a lot of times is sort of pick and choose, don't we? And that's what the the religious leaders are doing. Oh, they had all these lists that made them feel good, but we like to pick and choose. And so when it comes to following Jesus, we're like, I like that Jesus. And so there's things, we look, we read through the Gospels, we're like, oh yeah, like... Jesus that's lo- love, the, the, the good Samaritan, you know, love others. I like that one. Let the little children come to me. They're sort of like, you know, hippie Jesus and Birkenstocks. We kind of like that version of Jesus. The Jesus that says, don't judge me, bro. Like that, Jesus. But then some of the other things Jesus says, like let go of the bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. Nah. Like, actually view my stuff as actually God's and live with generosity towards the kingdom of God? Mm, not so much. Like, the way I, I do sexuality in my life, living by the standard that God sets? Yeah, I don't think so. And we pick and choose, and we go, well, I'm doing, I'm doing these things over here, and God starts talking to us about some of these other things over here And it's like, nah, not so much. I I don't think I'm going to do that. And before long, what actually happens is is the Jesus, your version of Jesus has very little resemblance to the Jesus of the Bible. It's like a shrunk down version of Jesus. Like Jesus is a genie, you know, in a bottle that sort of is there as your friend and helper and all these things, but not someone you submit your life to and actually follow. And Jesus says, hey, there's there's a desire to please our Lord that actually leads to greater knowledge of him. You want to know God? He says, there's a response. There's a response. You need to trust him. You need to take an obedient step of trust toward what he says. That there is a step of faith there. There's an old hymn that I remember from growing up called Trust and Obey. Some of you might remember it. And it has this, it says, When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And see, if you want to understand and have joy and have like the peace that actually comes from living with relationship with God, there's a step of obedient trust. There's a, there's a okay, God, I'm going to choose in this situation when my will bumps up against your will, I'm going to choose to do your will. I'm going to respond to you. And when it comes to, to doing the will of God, sometimes I think we, we overcomplicate it, don't we? Because for so many people, we become so focused on, like, praying for God. What is your, like, you worry about the will of God when it's a big decision you have to make and you're a little, you know, or you're wanting to know if you should date somebody or marry them or, you know. And and trust, ladies, if, if the dude's like, hey, I think God told me I'm supposed to marry you, um, don't believe him, okay? <laughs> like, you, you know, pray about that one yourself. <laughs> but we focus on this whole thing, right? We, we focus on God. What are you leading me to do and stress in over decisions and all this? And it's good to seek God in those. While simultaneously, so often, are, we we've, don't ask the question, are you actually doing what you know his will is? Because this is what a religion allows us to do, is like, I'm going to go pray about this and see if I can seek God's will. Meanwhile, God's talking to me about this thing over here, or this decision or this thing to make, and it's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm scared to do that. No, that's uncomfortable. I don't think I'm going to do that. Shh, let's not talk about that. And you're like, but can we talk about this? And God's like, no. So if you want to understand the will of God, you got to do what he already says. This is one of the primary things for actually discerning his will, is asking the question, have you, have you done the last thing he told you to do? Was there a step of leading or direction or something from Scripture that he's been like convicting you in your heart over and over again? Have you done that? And see, we're like, I want new direction, new like, revelation from you. And he's like, well, can we talk about this over here? Have you done the thing he's already told you to do? I think when it comes to the will of God, um, like I said, we overcomplicate it so many times. When you actually do the thing he's telling you to do and say, God, to the best of my knowledge, the best of my ability, I'm being obedient to your word. I'm, I'm doing those things you told me to do. I'm taking the steps that I really strongly felt you, you led me to. There's so many times where he just frees us up to make a decision, and I think it's good to seek God in everything. Don't just go make rash decisions. But so many times it's just like we use God like, I just need a good stock tip, God. Like, could you just give me a good tip? When instead it's like, hey, okay, God, I've followed your will, and I'm going to seek you on this big decision. But if you don't hear clearly, I think in so many, opportun- so many times, he just gives us the ability to make a wise decision. Get some wise counsel. Talk to some people who love God and love you. Seek God if you don't get any clear leading. Guess what? Make a good decision. So many times it's between two good things, right? Should I go to this school or that school? Should I, should I go on this missions trip or not? Well, make a decision. Sometimes he leads you very clearly. He has the ability to lead you very clearly, right? But sometimes it's just like, hey, guess what? When you're like, seeking that, like, God, should I marry this girl? Should I marry this girl? Or lady? should I marry this guy, right? And you want to hear, like, this great confirmation? It's like, no. Many times it's like, no, actually, she loves God. She's cute. She actually puts up with me and likes me. And this is a good time in life. Let's, let's get married, right? In fact, guys, like, there's some great single ladies in this church. Get your act together. Come on. I'm saying there's things like, there's times when you just, once you have actually can say, God, in the things you've really been leading me on, I feel like, to the best of my ability, by your Holy Spirit, as you've brought conviction, as you've led me, as you've, you know, said, I want you to take this step, I've done that, then in those times where it's not always clear, because, you know, it's not always super clear, right? It's not always like, this is right, this is, this is the best way. Sometimes it's like, I don't know, God, both these things seem really good. This job opportunity seems really good, but I don't know. And a lot of times in that you pray, you seek him, and then he allows you to make a decision. He has the ability to redirect your steps. There's an old saying, it's easier to steer a moving vehicle. Like, it's hard to steer a parked car, Right? and taking steps of obedience in the things that God has already spoken to you has this way of opening up what he has for you next. I've seen that over and over. In fact, the Psalms uh, the Psalmist says your word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my path, a light unto my feet, right? And they didn't have like giant mag spotlights that like you could see a mile down the path. This was like a little lamp, literally you can see a few steps down And the leading of God so many times is like that. We'd like, God, could you give me my life plan all mapped out, you know, with who I'm gonna meet and what I should do and how to know the right opportunity and all that. It's like, no, but I'll show you the next step. And almost always when it comes to following God, you have a pretty clear idea of what the next step is that he's placing before you. Follow him, follow him. So the point is this. Jesus always asks us to take the obedient first step of trust in order to go deeper with him. Like he who chooses to do the will of God. There's always a response. All throughout scripture, as God reveals, there's a response. Are you going to choose you today whom you're going to serve? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. There's an obedient step he's calling you to take. Verse 18, Jesus goes on. He says, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Jesus says, he, I am the man of truth. I am the man of truth. There's nothing false about me. And I think this is something you also need to wrestle with. Because the big question when it comes to life, I think the most important question in this life is what are you going to do with Jesus? He claims to be the man of truth. He, if you read his claims throughout the Gospels, the unsettling things is he actually makes some very exclusive truth claims. See, the whole thing like in our culture of, well, you have your truth and I have my truth and everything's cool as long as we don't ever challenge each other's truths isn't biblical and it doesn't line up with the teachings of Jesus. Now, it's good to respect others' opinions, right? But ultimately, you got to wrestle with the question of is Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to God except through me. Now, what we love to do with Jesus is we're like, hey, I just love Jesus, you know, especially that don't judge me kind of bro thing. And, you know, the whole, I just love the Jesus that, you know, you know, hugs the little kids and, and feeds us with the, with the bread and fish. And yet we come to this and we're like, "Yeah, I don't really buy that. I just think he was a good moral teacher. I, C.S. Lewis put it best, right? He didn't give you that option. Like, as you read his words, either he was a lunatic and a liar, or you got to wrestle with his words because he's Lord, right? He claims over and over again throughout this, you know what the reason they're trying to kill him isn't because he did some nice, like, party tricks and turned water into wine and fed some people and hugged children. The reason... They're trying to kill him is because over and over he claimed, he made claims that they fully understood and knew. He was claiming divine status. He was claiming, again, where'd you get your authority? God. (laughs) Where are you from? Heaven. Verse 19. Now Jesus is going to go after them a little bit. And and to understand this, you got to remember, they're still upset about John chapter five when he healed this paralytic and it happened to be the Sabbath, okay? They're still upset about that because he broke their petty rules about the Sabbath and he healed this guy. And so Jesus is going to make this pretty sophisticated argument. Verse 19, he says, has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? And see, Jesus knows their hearts. And you got to understand how offensive this would be to them. Because this, he's confronting the people that were the absolute best in the world at keeping the law of God, they thought, right? And they're like, we well, checked the boxes. One of the other gospels, he says, hey, you you don't just like tithe on your harvest. You like You guys are so good. You like pull off little leaves and and tithe on the herbs. And and then you keep all these things, right? And Jesus says, that's good, you should do this. But you neglect the deeper things of the law, the heart of mercy and compassion of God. Like you, you pick and choose what you like, right? Religion has allowed you to pick and choose and go, I am doing great, look at my checklist. Well, you have hatred in your heart. Remember the law, don't covet Yeah, why are you guys about ready to kill me? You remember the don't murder? (laughs) Yeah, murdering an innocent man, murdering the son of God, God in the flesh. You're about ready to do that. There's murder in your heart. There's covetousness. You don't even keep the law, Jesus says. And they say, you're demon possessed, which really you could translate as you're crazy, Who's trying to kill you? And Jesus said, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. And I think a better, um, maybe for us to understand the the English of the Greek here would be like shocked because he did this or disturbed because he did it on the Sabbath, right? You're all like, I threw you off, off your, uh, you know, I really threw you off when I did this miracle. You're all shocked, you're all amazed. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. In other words, you have to make a choice, right? Because the law of Moses commands that when a, when a boy is born, um, you have this little surgery that happens on the eighth day. And if that happens to fall on the Sabbath... Well, you valued this as a priority. You understand this. Because they understood this as, as part of the covenant of God that made someone like, that was a symbol of being part of the covenant people of God. And so Jesus says, now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. They are so upset and wound up about the fact that he healed the guy. Although it didn't really look like that hard of work for him. It wasn't really that hard for him, was it? It's like, you're healed. <laughs> Boom. And they're so upset about that. And he's like, you hypocrites. You're willing to do a little surgery on the Sabbath, but I make a whole person whole. And you're all upset about it. Understand the heart of God. Understand God's heart. Judge correctly. I think it's interesting that Jesus says this, judge correctly. You're like, wait a minute. I thought he said, don't judge me. Don't judge Yes, don't look at someone else's life and think you can judge their heart and their character and where they're at with God and all that based on external appearances. Like, you can be judgmental. Don't be that. But we're also called to discern, to judge correctly. And especially, this is so important in a, in a culture, in a day and age, where it's like, yeah, we don't, like, the, the worst thing you can do is ever confront somebody else's truth, right? Right? Everything's good as long as you don't make an exclusive truth claim. And in this culture, actually, the claims of Jesus are very offensive. Like the claim of even absolute, like there are truths that are true because God set the world up this way. It flies in the face of, of so much of our culture, right? It's behind most of the big culture battles we'll see, we're seeing today, many of them. This idea, my truth, your truth, and Jesus would say, there's truth, and you need to judge, you need to discern correctly. And when it comes to Jesus, who is Jesus? You need to wrestle with that. You need to wrestle with the claims that he made, if you're, if you're seeking, if you're wondering, is what you say true? And when it comes to, do you choose to align your life with what he says? It's not a uh, pick-and-choose kind of thing. I like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that, not so much. Making him in your own image? Jesus would say, there is truth. You need to seek it. You need to pursue it. Verse 25, at that point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Yeah, that's what Jesus just said. Here he is, speaking publicly. And they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? They hadn't. And they chose to ignore God's will for them. They rejected Jesus, and six months later, at the festival that was Jesus' time of Passover, they would murder the Son of God. God in the flesh, because of their jealousy, because of their inability, because of their narrow beliefs that they had set up an image of God in their own, according to their own liking. They reject and murder Jesus. I just want to put this one verse back up on the screen as we close today. Verse 17, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And I really want you to wrestle with this statement this week. And that's this, to really know God, we need to take the obedient first step of trust. To really really know him, to go deeper, to grow in our relationship with him, we need to take the obedient first step of trust. So let me ask you, have you been ignoring something God is leading you toward while you're, while you're saying, God, I want to know you more, but I don't want to talk about this. God, I want to know you more, but I, I, I think you're calling me to do, take this step and it's kind of scary to me. God, I want to know you more, but I'm not willing to go there. If you want to go deeper in relationship with him, if you want to experience the joy and the peace that comes from from walking with him, trust and obey, right? We walk with the Lord in the light of his will. Trust and obey. Sometimes it's hard to know what the will of God is in specific areas of our life, but we focus so much on that that many times we ignore what he's already said? Are you doing what you know his will is in your life? If you seek him, is there an area where you're like, God, uh, can you really say, God, I'm I'm following what I know your will is, what you've revealed? For some of you, are you focusing on like minutia? You found great ways to distract yourself and you've got a good checklist of, you know, Christian kind of things that you do while you ignore the hard issue that God wants to address within you. And then for those of you, maybe you're here, maybe you're joining us online, and you're just not really sure about this whole Jesus thing yet. I think what Jesus says there is, like if you actually want to understand and know what he says is true, there's a response still. And it's so counterintuitive, because you're like, no, I want to get every one of my questions answered. I want to get this whole thing figured out and i would challenge you maybe you need to to respond to him in order to actually go to a deeper level of understanding maybe you feel him drawing you but you're not really sure about this whole thing yet and for some of you i would just say hey maybe that obedient next step is just saying okay jesus if you're real if you're really there i'm going to keep seeking you i'm going to keep showing up at church in fact, I'm going to ask, if you're really there, would you reveal yourself to me? And that is your next step, is just saying, I'm not going to, like, stiff from you and allow all the arguments rolling around in my head. Like, I've seen enough that I'm really wondering if you're seeking me, if you're pursuing me, if you're there, if you really care about me. Just take that step. Keep pursuing him. Like, maybe that's your step here today. Just keep pursuing him. Resisting the pressure to just say, nah. And walk away, right? Maybe it's wrestling. Okay, I'm going to read through the Gospels and I'm actually going to get to know you more and hear the things you say. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And each one of those, it's it's an action. It's a continuous action. Knock, keep knocking, seek, keep seeking. Ask, keep asking. Don't give up. Don't give up. And for some of you, really, the question is, what are you doing with Jesus? And, and you've been in this process, and you know he's drawing you, and yet you're kind of scared to say yes to him. Because you know it's going to realign your life a little bit. There's going to be changes that are maybe uncomfortable, things that he's asking you to do that you're not so sure. But you know it's him. It's him. I would say following him is a decision you will not regret. It's the most important decision you can make in this life. Would you stand? As we close, I just want to, um, if, if that's you in the room or online, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus right now. And we call this getting saved. We call this following Jesus, giving your life to him. And if that's the place you're in where you, you know that what he says is true, you've just been struggling with giving your life to him and embracing and following him, I just want to invite you to pray a simple prayer like this after me, either out loud or in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God that you died and rose again. Forgive me of my sin. Welcome me into your family. I place my full faith and trust in you and what you did for me when you died and rose again. Thank you for salvation. I want to follow you with my life.